You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killy. My name's Zach. I'm one of the pastors here in New Hope. And uh, we're going to continue talking through our series on the story of Joseph. Uh, Randy got us through week one, and we learned that Joseph is kind of a jerk. That's our major takeaway from week one. Uh, he um, He's an interesting guy, right? He's kind of full of himself. He's this cocky, good-looking kid, and he's well aware of it. 17. He, uh, he's got these brothers, but he's the favorite brother. His dad likes him best because he's the firstborn son by his favorite wife, the one that he wanted to marry in the first place. Ended up getting tricked into marrying another one, right? And he makes Joseph the head of the other brothers. He's kind of like the ringleader. He's sort of like the foreman on the job, foreman shepherd, doesn't have to do the same amount of work. He gets these visions from God that tell him he's going to be way greater than his brothers. So what's he do with that? He goes and he tells his brothers that probably something you shouldn't do. Probably just keep that to yourself, right? And uh, he's just all in all not this great dude. He's causing dissension between his brothers, kind of making stuff about up about them to get in trouble. His brothers do um, something terrible, definitely doesn't deserve what happens to him, but they sell him into slavery. And they tell their dad that he got killed by a wild animal. That's pretty rough. And that's where the story leaves off. Not the greatest guy. Not our favorite, right? But I do want to let you know, today he is much more likable. We're going to like him way, way more today, okay? But that also comes with a warning. I want to warn you of something that we do a lot when we read the Bible. And it's something we shouldn't do when we read the Bible. I want you to be really careful not to assume Joseph is the hero of this story. Okay? He's not the good guy. All right? We're we're pretty quick to think about it like that. We read, you know, the story of Moses or the story of Noah or, you know, Joseph in this case. And we read about these guys and Disney and Hollywood and the books that we read and the media consume have just kind of prompted us to go, oh, he's the guy that like we're following through the story. He must be the good guy. And it's like, no, no, no. The Bible works very differently than that. The Bible is a book full of tons of bad guys. In fact, every human being in the Bible is the bad guy, except for Jesus. Except for Jesus. Jesus is the only hero in the Bible. And so when we read the Bible, we should remember, oh, God is the hero in this story. So we should be looking out for how is he the hero in the story and how is he using these broken, fallen people to do good when they just submit their lives to him. See, we are capable of good, but just when we submit. So as we read this story, please keep that in mind. It's actually very apparent in this story. And so that's why I'm using it as an example, but we should do this every time we read the Bible. So let's get right into it. Genesis 39, 1 through 6 says this. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the, uh, by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. 
Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except for what kind of food he ate. Wouldn't that be nice if all we had to worry about was what kind of food we ate, because everything else was just taken care of? But what do you notice there? What do you notice about that? What we've read so far? Why? Why did Joseph succeed? Was it because Joseph was a super smart guy and he did everything right? No. It's because God was with him. That's it. That's why Joseph succeeded in everything he did, because God was with him. So much so that he puts him in charge of Potiphar's entire household, right? Potiphar looks at Joseph's life. Potiphar, a non-believer, right? Potiphar's an Egyptian. He's not a Jew. Why would he be worshiping the Jewish God? But he looks at Joseph's life and sees God is working through this man. I want this man to be in charge of my property. And then Potiphar is even blessed because he believes in Joseph, who God is with. God's the hero in this story. See? So it goes on. Genesis 39, 6-12 says this. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against my God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way uh, as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. That's not good. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Little risque, right? We're, we're getting there, right? Here's the deal. This is the part we're going to focus on because this part applies to all of us. We have all been there. Maybe not exactly there, right? But we have been in situations where we faced temptation. In fact, I'll take you one further. I will say this is thousands and thousands of times a day for every single one of us. We are facing temptation. So much so that I think Joseph actually sees there's a connection here in the way he's talking, in the way he's setting this up, or at least the author telling this story sees a connection between this that is happening to Joseph and the Garden of Eden. What happens in the Garden of Eden? God makes Adam and Eve, and he says, what? 
I want you guys to be in charge of all of this. This is yours. Take it, subdue it. Be my image. Take care of my stuff. Spread my influence throughout this world. Take care of it. Name the animals. You know, eat whatever you want in this garden. You can have any of it. It's all yours. There's only one thing I'm holding back from you, and that's this one fruit. You're not allowed to eat it. Didn't go so hot, right? But what happens in Joseph's situation? Hey, I want you to be in charge of my entire household. Take care of all my stuff. Subdue it. Take care of it. Make sure that it's good. Take care of all my servants. Take care of my household. I don't want to have to worry about a thing. You just do it. I know you've got this. There's just one thing you can't have, and that's my wife. You see the parallel? It's the same thing. We all go through this. Every single time we're faced with a temptation, we're just standing back between two trees going, well, I can have like the good one or I can eat this one thing that God said I can't have. We're always standing there. And Joseph got through it, right? He didn't give in. He didn't give in to the temptation. He ran away. And you can do the same in any situation you're put through. And you may be sitting here thinking, look, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my situation, and I don't. Maybe you struggle with some kind of addiction nobody knows about. Maybe you struggle with just the daily temptations of life. It seems like whatever's thrown your way, you just can't make the right decision. Maybe, right? All of us are struggling in there somewhere, and we've all got something, and we don't know what it is for each other. But here's what I'm saying. Some of you may be to a point where you don't even believe that you can overcome that anymore, right? Maybe you've been so beaten down by making the wrong decision every single time that you don't see how you can ever overcome sin and temptation. And here's what I'm going to tell you right now. Let me just rephrase that story for those of you that weren't paying attention, all right? This is a 17-year-old boy, okay? 17 years old, he's handsome, he's cocky, okay? He's been put in charge of a lot of property, a lot of money, and now he has a very attractive, very wealthy woman throwing herself at him, and there's nobody around to tell on him. He knows he's going to get away with it. And God saw him through that situation. If God can see a 17-year-old boy through that situation, he can see you through anything. All right? We all know a 17-year-old boy, and I'm telling you 99% of them aren't making it out the other side of that, okay? God can do anything. He can get you through whatever you're dealing with, all right? And here's how I want to talk about it. I want to give it to you in the most applicable terms possible. I was sitting in a class that we are now giving at this church. It's a training. You should pick it up the next time we start the trainings. Um, It's called Hope Dealer Training. All right. This week, we're going to be talking about a method called brace. All right. For those of you taking notes, write that down. B-R-A-C-E. It's going to be used by every single one of you sooner or later. I promise. B-R-A-C-E. And my friend Mike Wiggin told me about this. He's the pastor over at City Life. He said it's used in like addiction counseling or in therapy sessions. It's something to help Christians overcome temptation. So what is brace? 
It's something that I want you to remember when you are in the throes of temptation, when you are having it all thrown your way and you don't know what to do. Remember that one simple word, because here's what it stands for. B stands for breathe. Anybody in here have Apple watches? No? Maybe? Couple? Does it scream at you and go, hey, breathe? Because mine does. It's really annoying. (laughs) Maybe I'm just anxious. I don't know. But the reason it does that is because breathing helps you refocus. So much so that we have something in the world called combat breathing. Have you ever heard of that? We teach our Navy SEALs combat breathing. Here's what that is. Navy SEALs are the toughest warriors in the world, and they're in the middle of a fight with bullets flying past their heads, and they have to be in the zone. And so if their anxiety gets too high, if that heartbeat gets a little too high, they're taught, hey, take a second and take three to five repetitions of these breathings. And all they do is they let a breath out for five seconds, and they let a breath in for five seconds, and they let a breath out for five seconds, and they do that three to five times because what it does is it refocuses you on what is actually happening around you. It gets you out of your fear. It gets you back into reality, and it helps you make good decisions. So it starts with taking a deep breath. That's it. Focus on the moment. That's B. Here's the second one. R. Remember. Remember the truth. Okay? Let's think about Jesus in the garden when he's being, or in the wilderness when he's being tempted. I'm sorry. When Satan comes to him, he says, look, you look hungry. You're the son of God, right? Why don't you just make some bread? Make these, make these rocks over here into bread and eat that. And Jesus says, We are not to live by bread alone, but from every word from the mouth of God. What is that? That's scripture. Jesus just remembered scripture. He had it so impressed on his heart and on his mind that in the middle of a situation where Jesus was being tempted to sin, he just said scripture because he was reminding himself of the truth. Here's the deal. There is an enemy in this world, and he hates you, and he wants you to die. And the way he does that is by convincing you that lies are true. He has one motive, and he has one thing that he gets by with. That's lies. It's the one tool he's used for all of of history, and it doesn't work, right? It shouldn't work. We can get past it. It can't take us down on its own. The only way we give power to it is if we listen to it. And so we have to fight lies with truth. So remember that you have an enemy. Remember that he hates you. Remember that you have a God that loves you and wants to uphold you and that he can see you through anything. And remember the truth of his word. We have to be in the word. We have to know what God has told us. That's the second one. That's R. That's remember the truth. Here's the third one. Ask God for help. Pray. Pray to God that he'll see you through this, that he'll give you the eyes to see the situation for what it is, the ears to hear what's coming at you, and the hands and the feet to do what you've got to do. Pray. Be connected to God in that moment. That's the A. Here's the C. Call. Call somebody. You need people that can hold you accountable in your life. We live in this culture that believes that lone wolf Christians are a thing, and it's not, and you'll die, okay? 
You need people around you that know your deepest, darkest secrets, that know the worst things that you think about and desire. They need to know that. Just a couple people that you trust and that love you. And that in the moment when you're being faced with that temptation, that you can call them in a moment's notice and say, I'm thinking about doing something stupid and I need you to help me. In AA, everybody in AA, in Alcoholics Anonymous, everybody has somebody they can call at any moment to tell them, hey, I'm thinking about drinking. And then they can talk them off a ledge. That happens constantly in AA. We all need that person. We all need a few people. The Bible tells us, confess your sins to one another so that you may be what? Healed. That's how we get fixed, by confessing our sins to one another, by having people in our corner that know us and the worst parts of us. We're bad at that part. We got to be better at that part. Had Joseph had somebody he could have called in that situation, it might have been even easier to get out of there. He might not have had to have run. But when he walked in the house, what? Everybody's gone. He needed somebody in that moment. And that leads us to our last one, E. What do you think it is? Escape. Run. Get out of there. And that's why I think of Joseph every time I hear about the brace method. Get out. You're not tough enough. You're not strong enough. And even if you are, why are you going to keep yourself in a situation that's going to cause you to do something stupid or to tempt you to do something stupid? Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, he's not speaking literally, speaking figuratively. He's saying, get to the root of the problem and kill it. Stop whatever it is that causes you to want to do the wrong thing. Don't even go there. Don't even be in that place. Run. Now, here's the deal. Remember the brace method. Use it when you need it, guys. And you're going to need it a lot because we're all sinners and we all screw up, right? But remember this and use it in no particular order. You don't have to breathe first and then run last. Maybe sometimes the first thing you need to do is run, right? But be prepared. Don't wait for temptation to come your way before you're like, oh man, I messed up. I should have used that brace method thing. No, go find somebody that can hold you accountable today. Go start reading and memorizing scripture today. Be in this constant relationship with Jesus today because that's what's going to save you in these moments. Do what you can now so it's easier when it actually comes your way. The reason that Joseph got out of this situation, the reason that Joseph made it out alive here was because Joseph put it all back on Jesus. He put it all back on God. God got Joseph through that situation. He would not have been capable in his own. But he put it on God, and God saw him through it. That's exactly what the brace method is. I've added a couple steps, but it's pretty close to what Joseph did here. So here's the deal. If you do that, will that fix your whole life, and will everything be great? Let's continue the story. (laughs) Genesis 39, 13 through 20 says this. When she saw that... Uh, when she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. 
then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house, he tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. That's pretty rough. Joseph did the right thing, right? I mean, he did something, like we've, we've addressed it. That, I mean, how hard would that situation be for a 17-year-old boy to like pass on? And he does. He relies on God fully. He does the right thing, and what happens? He's deemed a, a, a sexual pervert, right? He's, he's deemed a criminal, and he's thrown into prison with the worst of the worst. Why is that fair? That's not fair. I think about, like, pastors out there that talk about the prosperity gospel, and if you just, you know, pray to God, everything will be great all the time and stuff, like, how do you get around passages like this? No, it won't. Some of the most devoted, God-loving people that just sacrifice and give and give and give and put it all back to God and just put all their faith in Him are the people I know that go through the hardest times. They can't get a leg up in this world. And we see that here with Joseph. What happens? He does the right thing and he's thrown into prison. But here's the kicker. Genesis 39, 20 through 23 says this. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. And he showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. He's definitely not in the place he wants to be. Life is not good right now. It's not great. He'd probably much rather be a free man, right? But he's not. He's in prison. But even in the midst of all that, what? God is with him. And even when things are as bad as they could possibly get, God is causing Joseph to prosper even there. Sometimes it just takes us saying, hey, maybe my idea of what would be good right now isn't part of God's plan. Maybe, maybe, maybe it is good right now. Maybe God really is with me right now. Maybe, maybe I am actually okay right now, even though I don't see it. Maybe it's not the way I'd want it. God's with me. Here's what it boils down to, guys. I said this at the beginning. We're not the hero in the story. God is. Your story isn't your story. Your story is God's story. He's using you somehow. And maybe that's going really well. Maybe that's not going so well. But the point is he wants to put you to use. He has plans for you. He just needs you to submit to him. He needs you to surrender to him and put him in the driver's seat and say, this isn't my life. This is your life. Just show me what to do. I'm here for you. That's when Joseph prospered. Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, that's when you're going to lose it. But those that learn to give their lives away, that's when they find life. 
That's what we're being called to. And that's what I see here in Joseph's story. It's all about perspective. God is the hero in this story. Let's remember that. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.